0: The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host Andrew and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 43 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, The Avengers. This week we're taking a look at Avengers number 40, Suddenly, The Submariner. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas. Pencils by Don Heck, inks by George Bell, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in May of 1967. Now, we will talk about this a little bit more at the end, but folks, this is Don Heck's last issue on Avengers in what I would call a consecutive run. Don will be rejoining us again for issue number 45, and then he will jump back on the book at issue 108 for a short run. Starting off with our cover, it's a nice cover. It's a bit on the plain side, but I think it's well done. I'll certainly settle for a more plain cover if it's this quality of art. This issue picks up shortly after the end of our last issue, with the Avengers basically assessing the damage to Avengers Mansion that occurred after the Mad Thinker and his Triumvirate of Terror let loose on mostly Hercules, but the Avengers in general. There are several jokes throughout this cleanup, and I appreciate them because I think this starts the long lineage that will eventually lead us to an entire comic that deals with the superhero and wanton destruction called Damage Control, which is just really funny. Damage Control at one point, not all that long ago, had been proposed as a superhero comedy show that Marvel was going to develop, and then DC put out the show Powerless, and that flopped pretty hard, so it looks like Marvel's abandoned plans for Damage Control, but I would love to see more of that kind of thing show up in the comics. And this is kind of the early starts of that, where we're recognizing the quantities of wanton destruction that superheroism causes, and we're making jokes about it. We also see here that Hercules is developing a little bit of an eye for Scarlet Witch. Now, to be fair, at this particular moment, Scarlet Witch isn't feeling particularly well, and we'll see this a little bit later. She is suffering some ill effects from the feedback caused by Thunder Boots, so she's kind of flushed and not looking so great at the moment. And also, to be fair to Hercules here, Scarlet Witch is also the only unattached female member of team. And since Herc is spending most of his time around the Avengers, though as we saw last issue, not all of it, it's only reasonable to assume that he would start to pay a little bit more attention to Scarlet Witch. Now, I love this cleanup because we get Hercules carrying around massive damaged equipment like it's made out of foam. It kind of reminds me of the foam boulders and things in the old episodes of Star Trek where the actors make this massive effort to lift what is obviously a very light piece of scenery. And we also get Quicksilver working working so fast at cleaning up that the other Avengers, specifically Hawkeye, actually accuse him of not helping at all, only to see that he has made this massive pile of debris and it is already having it fed into their disposal unit. And as I mentioned before, here we see Scarlet Witch really feeling the effects of this feedback. And again, this points out the fact that Scarlet Witch is a very powerful character, but her powers are, by their very nature, highly unpredictable, and that it sometimes leads to situations like this. A lot of times she's not fully in control of her abilities, and as a result she ends up overexerting herself or she's susceptible to things like feedback. And as Scarlet Witch passes out, obviously her teammates flock to her side, and they get her upstairs and begin to take care of her. And as Pietro and Hercules dote on Scarlet Witch, it makes Hawkeye again think of the woman he cares about, and what is going on with Black Widow, and that actually segues us in to once again seeing what is going on with Black Widow. The story we get here appears to be a continuation of Black Widow's story From last issue. But you've got to remember that Black Widow's story from last issue was out of a newspaper. So, if nothing else, the story is several hours, if not a day or two, old. So, the fact that they're continuing the story in what feels like real time in parallel with what the Avengers are doing seems a bit off. Even though the Avengers adventure from last issue only really covered a couple of hours, the fact that this newspaper story is now connecting to something that is happening right now and the particular events between these two parts the story, that really they shouldn't be more than minutes apart, really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, having said all of that, what we actually see is Black Widow makes her escape from the secret base in Arizona using a prototype jet that she stole and we see General Thunderbolt Ross fuming over it. And of course, because he's Thunderbolt Ross, he mistakenly assumes that because someone has infiltrated his base, they must be in league with the Hulk because Thunderbolt Ross is just permanently obsessed with the Hulk. I don't really care for Ross's inclusion in this story. If I didn't know the book was going to be involving the Submariner, I would have thought that this would be a predecessor to bringing the Hulk into the issue, but Hulk plays absolutely no part in this issue at all, so Ross's inclusion is somewhat pointless. Now, speaking of Prince Namor, we find the Submariner in the gladiatorial arena of Atlantis fighting off three of his most capable subjects. And, I mean, let's be honest, nothing welcomes Namor to a book quite like a solid Imperius Rex. And we get a really good one here on a two-thirds page panel of Namor fighting his gladiators. Now, in this particular case, Namor is fighting his gladiators to demonstrate his unquestionable ability to lead Atlantis. And I think this gives us an interesting insight into Atlantean culture, and the fact that their might-makes-right mentality makes it at least appear that physical contest and martial prowess is more highly valued than good governance. Namor is of the Blood Royal, but he is... Prince of Atlantis, because he is the strongest, he is the fastest, he's the best fighter, not because he is the best leader. And from time to time, we will see that, in fact, Namor is kind of lacking as a leader. In his defense, this is not really one of those times, though. So as the contest kind of winds down, the lead elder, the lead minister for the Atlanteans... Summons Namor and shows him that there is an American submarine nearby getting ready to launch torpedoes at a coral reef that bars entrance to Atlantis. So Namor rushes out in order to fight off this submarine. Now before he does, I love the fact that Namor here is rocking what amounts to a speedo and a red cape. It's very 300 Spartan-esque. But you know what? Namor's got the physique. He can make it work. If I were wearing that, mm, not so much. Another thing worth pointing out is that Namor has a history of fighting submarines. And in fact, a lot of his early appearances, Namor is fighting off German U-boats. So this is Namor kind of falling back on old habit, if you will. So Namor makes his way out, and just as the submarine is firing a second torpedo, Namor comes along and wrestles the torpedo and sends it up towards the surface where it detonates. There is a great panel here of Namor fighting with the torpedo, and the image is somewhere between Slim Pickens in Doctor Strange Love Riding the Bomb and some guy in a backyard pool riding an inflatable pool toy. You know, it's, it's that kind of awkward point where he's straddling the torpedo and doesn't quite have full control over it so it's kind of bucking him around. It's that kind of look. It fits the moment but it's still a little humorous. So with their torpedo destroyed, this American submarine crew gets ready to engage Namor, and as they pursue him, Namor tricks the submarine crew into entering a field of seaweed that is special in that it latches on to metal, as Namor describes, as though it were alive, and it prevents the submarine from moving. Now, I don't really buy that, just based on the fact that you've got a lot of weight moving it, fairly high speed and seaweed's not all that durable. I find it hard to believe but for the time being it works and for the most part, this doesn't really have a whole lot of an impact on the rest of the story, other than the fact that Namor intercepts a message from the submarine, discovers where the submarine's base is, and Namor correctly assumes that there are more submarines where this one came from, and in order to protect Atlantis, he is going to destroy the base and the submarines. So while Namor makes his way to the submarine base, the Avengers intercept a message of their own, only this time it's from Captain America, and once Wasp gets a clear signal Captain America sends the Avengers on a mission to go find the Cosmic Cube. So the Cosmic Cube is one of these great Marvel super weapons, if you will. Throughout the years, various villains have been after it, but it originally appeared in Tales of Suspense number 79 in the hands of the Red Skull. The Red Skull was able to effectively create things basically out of your mind. It is very nearly unlimited power. And in terms of Marvel cosmic devices, we'll call them. It's really only second in power to the Infinity Gauntlet and to the Infinity Stones. Later on, Thanos will become very interested in the Cosmic Cube before he then again turns his interest to the Infinity Gauntlet. Now, after its appearance in Tales of Suspense, Captain America informs the Avengers that it was lost in the Caribbean Sea and that they need to go find it in order to prevent the Red Skull from getting his hands on it again. Remember, Captain America is not with the Avengers right now, he's off fighting the Red Skull. So as part of his attempt to defeat or to stop the the Red Skull, he's trying to prevent the Red Skull from getting the Cosmic Cube again. Based on his description and obviously their general trust of Captain America, the Avengers head out to go find this Cosmic Cube and Hercules comes along because Scarlet Witch is still somewhat incapacitated. So Quicksilver actually stays behind to look after his sister. Now, I, I understand why Quicksilver stays behind. It is very much in character for him to do so, to look after his sister. I'm a little frustrated that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are basically removing themselves from the fight, and at least from this issue, they'll be back next issue, but from this issue, after having so recently rejoined the team. And overall, I'm not a big fan of splitting up the team as much as the book has been doing. I understand from a writing standpoint, it's a little bit easier to narrow the focus to a handful of characters at a time, especially Especially as the cast of characters grows, as the team itself grows, it's more difficult to give all the characters their own moments. And breaking up the team like this is an easier way of doing it. Also, unlike current comics, where you really just accept that the characters can't be everywhere at the same time, even though they appear to be, in the Silver Age, and really even on through a significant portion of the Bronze Age, it is not uncommon to see a character still away from one book in order to go do things in another book so like captain america is heavily involved in something in his own title right now so since he's off doing that he's not in avengers at the same time common practice as the world becomes more complex and there are more marvel titles that becomes more and more difficult at this point, we cut to the U.S. Navy base in the Caribbean and Namor involving himself with several of the sentries. Unfortunately for this poor kid, he's been given orders to engage the submariner on site. And I mean, he's just unbearably outclassed. Right? Namor is one of the m- most powerful people in the Marvel Universe right now. He's got flight, he's got super strength, he can breathe underwater. Namor is is kind of a powerhouse here. And this kid has an M1 rifle. And to be honest, Namor actually shows what i feel is a little bit of restraint against these poor guys he could very easily kill all of them, without breaking a sweat even. Instead, although he deals with them harshly, because he throws them into the sea and he knocks them around a lot, he lets them live. Now again, I'm sure that part of this has to do with the comics code, but at the same time, Namor is also generally considered a Marvel hero, although he frequently does play the role of villain. He is a Marvel superhero, so he's not going to kill indiscriminately. As all of this is going down, it just so happens that the Avengers are flying by on their way to what is roughly the Comic Cube's last known position and as they fly by they see what is going on realize that namor is attacking this submarine base and they decide that they need to go investigate and possibly intercede also part of their reasoning is that it's possible that namor is also looking for the cosmic cube so obviously they would want to prevent that if at all possible so wasp and goliath shrink down to their small size and exit the avengers jet and go to confront namor i really like the fact that they have modified the jet in such a way that there's a tiny little opening through which... Wasp and Goliath can exit the vehicle in their small size. I also really appreciate the fact that when Jan starts poking Hank about, hey, why haven't you made yourself wings yet? And he goes, ah, oh, I, I kind of forgot I've been busy. I would like to know, though, what happened to the ant he used to ride? Because that was fairly frequently a thing back in the early days, and although he doesn't really do the ant man thing, he does his ant size, and I would think that it would be fairly easy for him to still make use of the ants. And as we saw in earlier issues, he know longer needs the giant helmet that he has actually miniaturized it to the point where it is actually part of the cowl of his suit. So I don't see any reason he couldn't make use of the ants. Now, upon landing, Goliath immediately makes himself Goliath-sized and attempts to confront Namor. I kind of wondered why Goliath and Wasp were the ones to engage Namor. And then I realized they're the only two current Avengers, other than Captain America, who obviously is not present, who have engaged with Namor, who have dealt with him before. This goes way back to Avengers number four, where Captain America joined the team, but that's really the last time the Avengers have faced off against Namor. So, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye, have never really interacted with Namor. So as Goliath tries to talk Namor down a little bit, Wasp attempts to use her wasp's sting on him and is unable to have any kind of effect on him and in fact actually bends and damages her stinger. That's a little surprising to me because I always assumed the stinger was some kind of projectile weapon. But this issue makes it appear to be more of a close combat or a stabbing implement. I don't know maybe if that part of the stinger fires off or whatnot, but it's a little bit different than how I thought it would work. With Wasp having failed to really affect Namor in any way, shape, or form, Goliath gets Namor in a hammerlock and attempts to get Namor to calm down, really, and get him to stand down. Only Goliath forgot that Namor can fly, and Goliath only remembers this right about the point at which Namor starts flying. It's really kind of unfortunate for Goliath, but it's also a little bit nice to see Goliath brought down a couple pegs because he is a little bit arrogant. Now, next to Namor, Goliath doesn't see all that arrogant. But in the last few issues I would say Goliath has been a little bit full of himself. So, seeing Namor bring him down a peg or two it's not the worst thing ever. Namor flies Goliath way, way up in the sky and is waiting for Goliath to beg for mercy and Goliath refuses. So Namor starts doing various aerial acrobatics, doing corkscrews and loop-de-loops and things like that and eventually Goliath gets so dizzy and so sick that he can't hang on any longer and begins to fall back to Earth. At which point the Avengers make a really solid group rescue effort. Hawkeye sends a line, something for him to grab onto. Hercules reels him in. It's an all around good group effort. And Hawkeye immediately follows it up with a, a pretty quick attack on Namor using an arrow that's got an electrical charge to it. And it shocks Namor causing him to fall out of the sky, which would work really well if it weren't for the fact that Namor falls into the ocean. So I think Hawkeye's got the right idea here, but unlike Goliath and Waspy, he really doesn't have an understanding of Namor's power set, and doesn't realize that he made a mistake by letting Namor fall into the water. If Namor had crashed over land, it would be a much different situation. But part of Namor's power is derived from his proximity to water. So, the longer he's away from water, the more vulnerable he is. If he falls into water it's going to reinvigorate his abilities. Which is exactly what happens. Namor comes bounding out of the water and immediately starts to engage Hercules. And I will be honest, although Herc certainly has the upper hand here, he's certainly stronger and a better fighter Namor's not a pushover. And he is actually probably the closest match for Hercules that we have yet to see in Avengers outside of that initial appearance of Hercules when he's fighting Ares. Because those two are pretty darn closely matched. I certainly think Namor is a better match for Hercules than Goliath is, and I mean, the Triumvirate of Terror were just kind of jokes, I I guess. I I have a hard time coming up with a word that, that accurately describes how lame they were. But again, the Prince of Power manages to overwhelm Namor and basically uses an entire tree to hurl Namor back out into the ocean. And at this point, the Avengers think, well, this is probably the end of everything. You know, we can go back to our mission. However, Hercules, as we've kind of talked about and we've seen a little bit, has a bit of a big mouth. So, we, the reader, know that Namor was at the base because of the submarine attack against Atlantis. The Avengers think his presence there has something to do with the Cosmic Cube. So, Hercules mentions several times the fact that they're looking for the Cosmic Cube and that they won't let Namor get it. Well, all Hercules has done there is just spill the beans about the Cosmic Cube. Much to Goliath's chagrin, he is really pretty peeved about Hercules just blabbing like, that again hercules a little bit of a braggart he likes to talk a big game but as a result namor now knows about the cosmic cube and he knows the avengers want it which to him is enough justification for him to actually want it well if the avengers want it i need to have it and namor uses his ability to communicate with and control sea creatures and pretty quickly these creatures find the cosmic cube for him. Again, remember he's in the general vicinity of the cube to start with. So, with as much sea life as is present in the ocean, especially somewhere like the Caribbean, it doesn't take them all that long to find it. Namor quickly goes and gets the cube, gaining access to its power. So, again, Namor shows up at the submarine base, only this time he's not alone. He brings this giant, what he calls an Amalga Beast, and it is just this horrifying amalgamation of various sea creatures and probably a couple of Don Hex nightmares, I can only guess, to fight against the Avengers. Now, one of the really cool things here that I like is that the fact that when Namor shows back up, the Avengers take charge, but the Navy men at this base also prepare themselves for a fight. They realize that they are going to be no match for Namor, but they are at least going to make a valiant effort to defend their base against Namor's attacks. And I realize it's some kind of cultural thing, but there is something to be said for those who are willing to fight and die for a hopeless cause. Now, if the Avengers have anything to say about it, it won't be. However, things don't start off so great. So all of the Avengers Avengers present Hawkeye, Goliath and Wasp engage the creature while Hercules engages Namor and again this pair is probably the most closely matched and the odds have flipped Namor with the power of the Cosmic Cube is by far the more powerful combatant here but Hercules still manages to put up a decent fight. Hercules isn't totally outclassed by the Cosmic Cube wielding Namor which is fairly impressive. Now as part of his newfound abilities with the Cosmic Cube Namor thinks of a giant rift opening in the island that this base is located on, and the ocean rushes in, and he drags Hercules into the water with him, so that Namor is where he is the strongest, the most capable, and he fights Hercules there, pretty quickly taking Hercules down, and he's about to kill Hercules, quite honestly. And then Namor has one of those self-sabotaging moments that so many villains do. Namor starts to think to himself that this isn't a true challenge. He says it would be a mockery against the honor of Atlantis for he Namor to defeat someone in such a manner so unfairly so he takes Hercules back to the surface now as this is happening Goliath has managed to free himself from the clutches of the Amalga Beast and with a little bit of teamwork the Amalga Beast is taken out of the fight and so really the only fight that is remaining is between Hercules and Namor and as the two are fighting based on something that Hercules says it is brought to Wasp's attention that Namor is wearing an amulet, and she rightly assumes that that amulet is in fact the Cosmic Cube with its shape changed. I will admit that this is not necessarily the biggest logical jump that we have seen in the comics. I think Hawkeye figuring out Ixar's true identity as the Bergemeister was a far more significant logical jump. But there is a little bit of a little bit of a leap of faith here, where Wasp is assuming that because the Cosmic Cube can make the Amalgam Beast and change its shape, that the cosmic cube can then change its own shape. One doesn't necessarily follow the other. However, like I mentioned, Wasp is in fact correct, and as she severs the necklace that is holding the amulet, Namor loses his newfound powers, the cosmic cube tumbles into the crevasse that was formed by Namor, and Namor flees, just as the crevice closes itself back up and in one of the funniest endings to a marvel comic i have yet read we briefly cut to the mole man in his subterranean lair who stumbles across the cosmic cube only unfortunately for the mole man he doesn't realize what it is and as he is throwing it away he laments the fact that he needs weapons not bobbles not understanding that he has just thrown away one of the most powerful weapons in the entire marvel universe and it. It is just so fitting of the mole man. Really, this is a man who just constantly suffers from bad luck. And that's where we'll end our issue with a a nice laugh out loud moment, at least for me. Overall, I, I enjoyed this issue. It was a lot of fun getting to put Namor and Hercules in the same issue. In a lot of ways, they are very similar characters, but where Namor is pompous and very full of himself and this form of nobility, Hercules is jovial and like I said, a party animal, a bit of a braggart. It's different takes on what I would call a similar base character and it's it's really kind of an interesting thing to look at so As I mentioned earlier, this is our last issue featuring Don Heck, and I will freely admit that I am a little sad to see him go. Don Heck joined the book in issue number 10, and he has provided art, whether it be pencils or full art, so pencils and inks, for 28 of the last 30 issues, with Jack Kirby coming on for two of those issues, number 12 and number 18. But, you know, I'm really impressed with the progress we saw Don Heck make on this run. If you think back to those first few Few issues with Don Heck, I complained a lot about his inability to end a story well. He really struggled with pacing at the end of a book. He told 18 and a half great pages of story, and then suddenly realized he forgot to end the book and had to jam it into anywhere from the last page and a half to half page. And unfortunately, books suffered from that. It meant a lot of action had to happen off-panel, a lot of things were glazed over that really shouldn't have been. And as this issue shows, Don Heck's pacing is drastically improves. Like I said, this is probably my favorite ending of an issue so far. It was funny. It was entertaining. There was a lot of great action. Obviously, nobody is quite Jack Kirby when it comes to comic book action, but I think Don Heck did a really stand-up job as the follow-on artist to Jack Kirby. I mean, how do you follow Jack Kirby? He is one of the greatest comic artists to have ever lived. I mean, he is up there with guys like Mobius. You know, he, for generations, has defined what, especially Marvel comics, but comic books in general look like. If you want to see what good art and sequential storytelling looks like, Jack is one of the first places you go to look. Well, so how do you follow that? How does Don Heck pick up that mantle and keep going. And I think he did a really good job. As I mentioned, Don will be back for issue number 45 and then he will rejoin the book for a short run at issue 108 and do a couple issues after that little run. But for the most part, this is the lion's share of Don Heck's contribution to the Avengers. Next week, we'll be picking up with John Buscema and starting a pretty significant run on Avengers that's going to go for more or less the next 40 issues with Buscema coming back to the Book periodically throughout the 80s, but for now this is our last Don Heck issue, and I'm really happy to see that he is leaving on a high note. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 41. Let sleeping dragons lie. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.